myself to God because I hate bugs and I don't want God to send me to Africa. It's like God's like the big cosmic meanie, right? Who is just going to take you and do the worst possible thing with your life. And that's a lie because God loves you and he's for you. See, if we give God our lives, God knows why he created us. He knows the gifts and the skill set he placed within us. He knows all about us. and He knows this is your sweet spot in life. When Jesus was giving a couple fish and some bread, he didn't keep it to himself, but he spread it around for everyone. Today, Pastor Daniel will encourage us to not keep ourselves back from the Father. In the commandments we hear today, the people are told to do specific things in order to bless the Lord. He knows what we need. We don't need to take matters into our own hands. He can take what we have to give and do wonderful things. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, opening the Book of the Covenant. I'm absolutely excited about where we are in the Bible tonight. So open up in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. The reason I'm so excited is as a Bible teacher, one of my absolute favorite, one of my absolute favorite things to dig into is the law, is the law. And I know that sounds totally weird. For a lot of you, you're like, when you read through the Bible or try, you get kind of bogged down in Exodus and Leviticus in this spot. But as of, I find this section of the Bible to be so fascinating, to see the laws that God gave to his people. Now, I mean, we did the Ten Commandments, and it took us four weeks to get through them. But really, the specifics of the law really begin now. Because what you have is that right here in the middle of Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, all the way through Exodus 24 is what they call the book of the covenant. And that comes right out of Exodus 24, 7. And so it's really the first hashing out of the law. And then we're going to see it amplified in different ways. And so Before we start, I think it's important to remember, if you were with us on the Sunday mornings when Pastor Bill and I did the Top 10 series, I did a message on Psalm 19, and Psalm 19, verse 7, says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward." Now, I bring that out because as we're really going to get down into the nitty-gritty of the law, it's important to remember that the law is perfect. It converts the soul. God's testimonies are sure. It makes wise the simple. 
The statutes of the Lord are right, and they rejoice the heart. Now, and it keeps going on. Now, how is that possible? Because as we study the law, you have to remember that the law drives each one of us right into the arms of Jesus. That's the law's job. It is perfect. Every statute is perfect. There's a perfect reason why it's in there. But none of us can keep the law. Not only in action, but also in motivation and intention. So in all the ways as we're studying, and we're going to be studying the law from Exodus, keep going out to Leviticus, to Numbers and Deuteronomy. So at the rate we're going, we're going to be here for a year or two, working our way through. We're going to keep reminding ourselves that the law's job is to drive us into the arms of Jesus. That's its job. And when we go through the law and we find ourselves convicted, transgressing the law, breaking the law, being like, oh, no, this is bad. Don't forget, the reason Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose again is because according to this law, all of us fall short. Not one of us, except Jesus Christ, stands up to this law and is declared righteous. So we like to joke here on Sundays where I make you turn and look at the person next to you and say, sinner. And we do it the other side. We do that on Sundays and everyone laughs. But like, we're going to study. It's going to show us that all of us fall way short. And that's exactly why Jesus died. God loves humanity so much that he would fill in the gaps and empower our lives because all of us fall short of the perfections of God's law. Now, we just got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai with great cataclysmic happenings. There's thunders and there's lightning and there's fire. There's all this stuff going on and the people are certifiably freaked out. They're like, Moses... We can't talk to the Lord. We can't survive this in the presence of a holy God. We can't handle this. So Moses, you got to go talk to him for us. And it sets up the need for a mediator between God and the people. And we made the case that Jesus is the mediator. He's the new and better Moses. He brokers a better covenant that he has sustained in his own blood. Moses was temporary for the children of Israel. But Jesus is the fulfillment. Now, we're going to jump right on in in verse 22 of Exodus chapter 20. As we open the book of the covenant, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves an altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Now, he talks to Moses, the Lord, and he says to them, you know that I've spoken with you, right? Then in verse 23, you shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver, gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. It's interesting. He says, look, you know, I talked to you. And then he goes back to the first two commandments again. Don't make a God to be with me. 
not gods of silver, gods of gold. If you think about the Bible over and over again, it says that no one has seen God at any time. Now, we know God has revealed himself to different people in different ways, but one of the key aspects of who God is in the Bible is God's invisibility. Now, we know that God revealed himself to different people in different ways. We'll see it. But overall, God is seen as invisible. Now, why is that important? Because in all the cultures around the children of Israel, they had images of God. They had all sorts of statues. Everybody's gods was visible except for the almighty, sovereign, creator, covenant-keeping, sustainer of Israel. And God is serious. No gods of silver or gold. And what's interesting, in just a few chapters, they're going to make a golden calf and they're going to dance around it. But God goes back again. No other gods before me and no carved images. No carved images. And the key and the application for us is always in America, in the West, we are too sophisticated in a lot of spheres to worship images, but a lot of us worship gods of chrome, gods of simplex. Our homes are vacation homes, our 401ks, which is all just numbers. Now, none of these things are wrong. Your boat, your, your toy car, your this, that, your favorite camera, your nicest base, to put myself in the, in, the, in the group with the rest of you. You know, we have a tendency to worship things that God has given us to enjoy. So only God gets the place of worship. We all have an idol problem, every one of us. So we're going to keep coming back to this over and over again. Only God, only God, no other gods. Don't make gods of gold or silver. Okay? So he starts there. And then he says, I want you to make an altar of earth for me. Notice that. Verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. Notice that. Because God is God, the only proper way to worship God is through sacrifice. Sacrifice is always the way that we worship the true and living God. Now, I say that I grew up in a culture that's an acquisition culture. So right as you say, sacrifice is the only proper way to worship the true and living God, I realize that I just, statement just runs roughshod over the way we were all raised, the way we were all born, the, the culture that we live in, but it's still the biblical reality that a holy God deserves sacrifice. So the question is, is how's that sacrificial worship going for you? You know what the sacrifice God wants more than anything? He wants you. He wants you. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, each one of us is a living sacrifice. We're all called to sacrifice a self-styled life, and we come to God and we say, God, what do you want for this life? I give you myself. I know it's great when you give God yourself. God knows better what to do with us than we know what to do with ourselves. And listen, 
Oftentimes people say, well, I don't want to give myself to God because I hate bugs and I don't want God to send me to Africa. It's like God's like the big cosmic meanie, right? Who is just going to take you and do the worst possible thing with your life. And that's a lie because God loves you and he's for you. See, if we give God our lives, God knows why he created us. He knows the gifts and the skill set he placed within us. He knows all about us. and He knows this is your sweet spot in life. But what's interesting is because we live in a culture that says your life is your own, we never ask God, what do you want from this life? So the sacrifice that God really wants from our lives is us. That's the true worship, giving him ourselves, saying, God, this life is yours. All that I am is yours. I surrender all. But that's the way you worship the holy God. You give him everything. And what's beautiful about when you give God everything, God doesn't keep it all for himself because God ain't into acquisition. God is into blessing. Isn't that what we see in the Gospels? When that little guy brings Jesus few fish and some loaves. Jesus takes them, he blesses them, he breaks them, and everybody eats, and they have leftovers. Jesus is like, yeah, man, thanks for the bread. It's all mine. I'm hungry. He doesn't do that. He takes the little we give him, and he does exceedingly abundantly with it. So brothers and sisters, don't hold yourselves back, because the almighty God, the only proper way to relate to him is through sacrifice. And that sacrifice is ourselves for the world. And the reason we know that that's the case is that's exactly when God came as a man, Jesus. He gave himself so that the world may have life. And that's the beauty of following Jesus. The beauty of following Jesus is you realize that when I die to myself, And I give my life for everybody else, not as a doormat, because you love God and you don't let people take advantage of you because God values you too much to be taken advantage of. But as you serve the world, you learn what Jesus taught, that it's more blessed to give than receive. For the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated down at the right hand of the Father. So when you give of yourself, you really get yourself. You really get the real you, the you that God intended you to be. So we worship this holy God through sacrifice. Now notice, God is concerned about the altar. First he says, make an altar of earth in verse 24. And then in verse 25, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use a tool on it, you have profaned it. Now, Why is this important? Because we can't do any work. Our ideas of work. See, if you make this beautiful, ornate altar, people might worship the altar and say, oh, look, what a good job I did. So in order for God to be blessed by it, it can't be something like, I did this, I sweat real hard, I made it all perfect. No, it's interesting, God's ultimate altar was just two beams of wood where Jesus died. Didn't need to be all decorative, just a few beams of wood. So it's important to God that we do not try and inject and put our fingerprints all over everything. God likes it simple. He just wants it of dirt. If it's of stone, it can't be hewn stone. Don't put your tools to it. God likes it a little rugged and rustic. Because he doesn't want us to take any credit 
in the process. Imagine this. Imagine somebody builds a beautiful altar for sacrifice and they're, they're giving all these offerings. I was like, wow, that's a beautiful altar. Missing the whole point of why it's there. The altar is only amazing because of the God who is being sacrificed to. So we got to be careful we don't put the cart before the horse. And now also, very interesting last verse here, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Now, you have to realize that in that culture, undergarments were not the norm. This was long before boxers, briefs, boxer briefs, or whatever else your thing is, long before that, and it was very normal in that culture for the priests to wear what was the equivalent of long skirts. And because they didn't have undergarments, and if there were stairs going up to the altar, someone may catch a sneak peek of something they shouldn't see, and it will distract people from worship. So God says, no steps, because I don't want anybody to be distracted. Okay? Now, what's interesting is if you look at the cultures that surrounded the children of Israel, there was all sorts of what they would call cultic sexual practices, where with the worship of the different deities, there was all sorts of temple prostitutes, both male and female. And so you can imagine in that type of a more carnal, quote-unquote, worship environment, those steps could be used in a lot of different ways. So God's like, look, we're going to do something brand new here. I don't want people to be rising up to it. I don't want anyone to be distracted from what's going to go on. Now, we move into chapter 21. Now, in chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, this deals with the ideas of servants or slaves. Now, before we begin this section, we have to remember two things. For you and I, in 2013, the 21st century, We're all, when we hear about servants or slaves, our cultural history is that of African slavery, where people, mostly Caucasian people, went to other places, they kidnapped and enslaved people and made them work for life, okay? And that is wrong on every level. And we're going to see it in this chapter. It's wrong. Now, when America was founded, they didn't abolish slavery from the beginning. Why? Because... The, the colonies were splitting up over that point alone because some Christians read this and said, look, we're allowed to have slaves. And other ones said, no, we're not. And it ended up coming up later when the country almost split over it during the, the Civil War. But listen, what this is talking about is not kidnapping people and putting them in service for life. And we're going to see it right in this chapter. It's going to say, if you kidnap someone, that's capital crime. So when we're looking at this, we need to put this not in our context, but we need to put it in the context in which it was written so that we can understand it. So that's the first thing. Second, don't miss the fact that the children of Israel had just been slaves in Egypt. And the first thing that God starts to put parameters around is the way that they're supposed to allow people to be servants. Don't miss that. They had just been delivered from slavery in Egypt. And now he's saying the very first thing that God starts to talk about In the law is, how do we treat people who are servants? Now, you have to realize that in this culture, there was no such thing as corporations, business partnerships that we have in modern time. Virtually all of the business in ancient times were household or cottage industries, 
which means that each house, people had a skill, people who had these skills, they would have more work. Some people didn't have the same type of skills, right? And so people worked for a household. That's what they did. Now, I'm going to read a little bit, and I'm going to try and qualify as I go, because I don't know how many times, and when I first started reading the Bible, I was like, oh, the Bible condones slavery. How can I even think about this being true? But it was, it's not that the Bible condones slavery, it's just I just don't get it. I didn't get it. So I'm going to read some stuff, and then I'm going to qualify some things. I'm going to help explain how this is an African slavery, and you're going to see it right from the beginning. But if I don't explain everything to your liking, that's why we have the, the text in your questions portion, because I try and get touch all of it, but I know that I can't. So if I miss something, you can always feel free to text it in. If you think I'm wrong, feel free to text that in as well. We could talk about that as well. Notice what it says. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, then he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne to him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go free. Then his master, verse 6, shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. She shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. Okay. That's a big section. There's a lot in there. First, notice, if you buy a Hebrew servant, a Hebrew servant had four basic ways that they might become a slave of another Hebrew. According to Leviticus 25, 39, in extreme poverty, they might sell themselves to work for somebody. Second, a father may sell his children into servitude. Exodus 21, 7. We're going to get to that in a second. In the case of bankruptcy, a man might become a servant to his creditors. And then finally, if a thief had nothing to pay proper restitution for what they stole, then they could become a servant. Those are the four main ways. Now think about this. So the four ways that someone became a slave is that they couldn't provide for themselves. They were indentured servants to somebody else. Now I want to give you a newsflash. That's what each one of us are today. Because we don't own our houses, we don't own our cars, we don't own our food, we have jobs. And we work for people to pay for our lives. That's the exact same thing. Jesus is Today we heard instances of how we are living sacrifices. When we live like Jesus, we sacrifice for others. 
the real us begins to take shape as we take on his characteristics. Pastor Daniel continued to drive home the truth that we can't do work to gain salvation. God is doing some amazing things with Jesus is Real Radio. It's our vision to see Jesus is Real Radio on more radio stations worldwide and to help change lives across the globe. You can help see this vision come to life by sending a gift of any amount to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Again, to send a gift of any amount to Jesus is Real Radio, simply send your gift to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us as Pastor Daniel explains how we need to consider context as we look at the commands God gave the children of Israel. Our world today is different, but its message is the same. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio 